Uh, do you remember what you had? Eggs and grits. Eggs and grits. I like grits too. How do you cook your grits? You like them regular, creamy, or al dente? Just regular, I guess. Regular. Instinct grits? No self-respecting southerner uses instinct grits. I take pride in my grits. So, Mr. Tipton, how could it take you five minutes to cook your grits when it takes the entire grit-eating world 20 minutes? I don't know. I'm a fast cook, I guess. Episode of the Agency Podcast. Eugene here in Toronto. And Candy Minx here in Chicago. Hi. Hey. hey, how's it going? It's going really well. It's a beautiful day here in Toronto. You wouldn't know <gasps> it's November. It's no. sunny, just slightly cool, really nice day. Exactly the same here. In fact, we sat outside on the fire escape and um, had a glass of wine last night. With Stank didn't even wear a coat. I had a sweater on, but it was that nice out. Nice. Yeah, it was beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, you know, um, winter is coming. I know it is. I know, I know, I know. I've got my, I've, I've been doing my, um, I, I'm sure I do this here and there all the time telling you I'm purging things. So I went through my coats last night and I pulled out some coats and let go of some. I said, just not wearing it, just let it go. Get it mm-hmm. out of the closet. Um, I took about two bags of stuff out of the house last night. It was hard to do. I understand But I had completely. to do it. I had to do it. I did a total purge about a year or so ago. I took all my clothes out of all my I drawers and closets and I put them all on the bed and, and I just decided that anything <laughs> I haven't, I haven't either, I didn't know I had, or yeah. I haven't worn in like two years is yeah. out. And the amount of stuff that I had that I didn't even know I had was just staggering, I know. you know, just sitting in behind all the stuff I actually use in my in my drawers and closets that's it it's 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 it, you got to be an honest moment and just say it feels good to have less stuff in my closet sure. it's easier to, easier to find things um and i just need to keep doing it i i went through um a lot of materials in the studio too just that i kept thinking i'm gonna make this into something and last night i went are you actually going to use this if you're not it has to go so well, i, I, took some I understand things that too i have yeah. lots of crap in my studio as well yeah, which is which is now a little bit cluttered up still with uh, with paintings as we're we're still homing some um, some paintings that we had in storage. Um, so hopefully we'll. Uh, well, maybe someone could email you and ask you to have a little mini show and email, and uh, they could buy the old, the old email art exhibition. Yes, yes. Yeah. Maybe someone could say, "Hey, I'd like to look at those paintings. Uh, I might be interested." Right and they on. can't get to you; they're too far away, or because you could take them off a stretcher and roll them up. In fact, they could email theagency.podcast at gmail.com about okay. that or about anything except about, complaints. Complaints oh. go to complaints at hotmail.com. 
I wonder if there's like a million email that go to that address. <laughs> there probably are. Probably is. So how's things? Well, I had a cooking adventure yesterday oh. I wanted to talk about. Okay, good. Yeah, I just, I you know, I got it in my head to make something that I really like that I just had no idea how you even begin to, to make. Mm. So I did a little research and I made it up. And it's something that's called uh, Cha Trung, which is a, a Vietnamese name. I probably pronounced it incorrectly. Um, okay. Forgive me if you're a Vietnamese speaker out there. Um, it's a it's an egg dish and it's a meatloaf at the same time. <laughs> oh, sounds delicious. It is super delicious. And it's it's something that's very popular in Saigon, in the South in particular. Uh, and it usually comes with calm uh, tam, which is broken rice. Okay. So broken rice is a really interesting kind of phenomenon because at one time, rice farmers would sell their best quality rice mm -hmm. and they would keep the broken rice that they oh. separated out for eating at home wow. um, because everyone wants the whole grains of rice but rice you know there's a percentage of it that breaks and rice that still became, tastes nice that's the rice is nothing wrong with the rice mm -hmm. it's just in in fragments and now broken rice has become a pop it's a thing oh yeah Right, Comtam is the thing. So uh, it's really popular in in Saigon, and typically, if you go to a, a Comtam joint or stall or mm -hmm. street food place, mm -hmm. um, you get a variety of items, and one of those items is this egg meatloaf, and another item will be vegetables, maybe cucumbers chopped up. Uh, maybe some greens and mm -hmm. then often grilled pork, a grilled pork chop or pork ribs, something like that. Um, and you get it all together as a, a meal with the broken rice. Well, I decided I wanted to try to make this, this meatloaf. Yeah. So I'll tell you how to make it. Okay. What you need is you need some ground pork. You need some crab meat. And I just used crab meat in a can because mm -hmm. that's what I had. Mm -hmm. uh, you need uh, bean thread noodles that are also called um, cellophane noodles. Okay. Uh, that's, so they're not the ones made from rice flour. They're the ones made from beans, mung beans. Mm -hmm. uh, you need black fungus, okay. uh, which you can get in your Asian market. It comes dried and sliced. Feel like I want to rebrand that title. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there's also a disease called black fungus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that that's related to COVID. I I think people get this condition. Um, it's happened in India. I understand that it's fungus related to COVID. However, that's not what you eat. Right. Um, what you eat is um, it's a kind of fungus which. Uh, is a jelly fungus that grows on trees. It's like a wood ear fungus or a cloud ear fungus. And you can get it in all the Asian markets. It okay. looks like it's black and white and you have to soak it for a little while before you use it. Um, you need eggs, you need fish sauce, salt, pepper, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And 
there's lots of recipes and you can change around the proportions. Uh, there's all kinds of recipes you can find online if you try this. I used about the same, roughly the same amount of pork and a tin of crab meat and um, around the same amount of noodles, which is like one, the noodles come in like a package with many bundles. Okay. So you use one bundle and around the same amount of fungus. So you start off by soaking the mushrooms, soaking the uh, the noodles to soften them up for mm -hmm. 15 minutes or so. Right. It doesn't take very long. Then you squeeze all of the excess water out of both. Mm -hmm. You chop them up roughly mm -hmm. yeah. and put them in a bowl. You add your ground pork to the bowl. You add your crab meat to the bowl. Um, you add salt, pepper. Uh, you add Vietnamese fish sauce uh, to course. it. And I used... Red house or red boat? Yes, of course. That, that's the best one we can get here. Mm -hmm. um, you could use any, but uh, there's a quite a big difference between some of the really cheap fish sauces, which are pretty raunchy, and, yeah. uh, and the nicer fish sauces. Yeah. Uh, so I used about a uh, ceramic soup spoon full. Um, so I don't know what that measurement well, is. I mean, these measurements are just <laughs> super accurate, spectacular. So a quantity, so you, equal quantities of your big items, mm -hmm. and you can vary the amount of fish sauce. And when you use fish sauce, you kind of get the sense of how much you want to use, depending on um, how strong a flavor you you right. want it to have. Um, and then you need about six eggs, and. Mm -hmm. The first thing you need to do is you need to separate the yolks from two of those eggs. Okay. So you reserve two egg yolks, everything else, the, the rest of the six eggs and the whites from the two eggs go into your bowl with, with everything else. Okay. Um, and you also add a, 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 like a spoon of sugar. Huh. I, don't know, I don't know if you really need it, but all the well, recipes seem, seem to call yeah. for it. Um, some people use a little bit of oyster sauce. I didn't, I didn't miss it. So okay. you mix all this stuff together. And Sounding a lot like a frittata right now. Doesn't it? Does yes. it not sound a lot yes. like a frittata? <laughs> okay, but this frittata has got a can of, of crab meat in it. Right. And it has it has ground pork in it. Yeah. So you mix it all up. Raw. And, uh, yeah. And what you get is a fairly wet, gooey mixture <laughs> that has the mushrooms and the noodles and mm -hmm. the pork mm -hmm. and the crab meat and the eggs and the fish sauce, salt, pepper, sugar, all together. Right. Okay. And then you need to find a way to cook it. And the normal way to cook it is to steam it. Oh. But, um, but you need to have a pretty big steaming unit uh, to be able to do it. Uh, like I found I didn't have, for the quantity I wanted to make, the... Uh, the bowl I was going to cook it in, or not, not a bowl, it's like a, like a platter kind of, what do you call it? I don't know. The ceramic item I was going to cook it in uh, was too big for my steamer. So I discovered that uh, there's an alternate way of doing it that, that some people use, and which is what I tried, which is you put the container you're going to cook it in, in a larger container and you have full, fill the larger container with water. And you cook it in the oven 400 degrees. 
Mm. So it's like a baking steaming. Yeah. Right. And you do that for, you cook it in that for mm, about a half an hour or so. And you know that it's going to be about ready if you plunge a fork in there and a fork comes out clean. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then you take it out and you stir up your two egg yolks uh, with a fork mm-hmm. and you brush on the egg yolk mixture on top of your now cooked hot let's call it a frittata okay you brush this yellow egg yolk on top then you put it back in the oven for another five minutes and what happens is the egg yolk makes like a yellow hat for your uh for your meatloaf mm-hmm. um i tried it last night it was just super delicious. Mm-hmm. It was so good. It's really easy to make. You just mix everything up, throw it together. Did I have the proportions right? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. It, yeah. it certainly was very much like I've had in, in Vietnam. It has a really unique kind of texture to it. And the flavor is, uh, it's like an umami bomb because it's got the yes. fish sauce in it and it's got the yes. pork. Uh and the combination of the black fungus and pork is a combination that you see in many, many dishes throughout Vietnam. Wow. Like a Ben Quan, for instance, there's all kinds of them use, uh, use that mixture together. It's like really, I would call it ubiquitous uh, throughout uh, <laughs> Vietnam, the, the, the pork and the black fungus uh, together. Um, and mm. with the eggs, it makes this really crazy kind of, combination of meatloaf and frittata it sounds so good it's so easy really easy to make um i would say you know i mean my my description is fairly broad as you as you joked about in terms of my uh uh proportions but you can just look up uh, online uh, a recipe to get more accurate proportions Uh, i think it's it's fairly straightforward i didn't have any any problem i didn't think you know, I didn't measure too accurately and everything seems right. about right. Right. I, I think there's a lot of leeway in this. I actually chopped in some uh, cayenne chilies. Uh, mm. Typically in Vietnam, they wouldn't have the chilies in it. You would add the chilies when you eat it as a condiment. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Super good. Highly recommend wow. it. Really yummy. <laughs> Excuse me. Sounds delicious. Well, I've been trying to cook something um, because when we were in New York City, we just... We were staying in Brooklyn and we'd been down in in Manhattan all day and we're like, well, let's at least eat dinner. Just Dag and I were by ourselves. Let's eat dinner before we go back to Brooklyn and then take a train because we took a train both ways. Thank God for GPS because I've always been really afraid of trains in, in New York City. Just, you know, there's multi-level train tracks. I always find it super overwhelming. Anyway, we had a very painless trip back and forth. Um, but we found this place. We found two places. I don't know if I even, maybe I told you about this. It was on Lexington and there was two Italian restaurants, of course, because my destiny is to go to Italian restaurants. <laughs> Having, since I work in one, apparently I have to eat them too when I go out. Um, but uh, they both looked really good and we just chose one that looked a little more uh, quiet. Uh, and the menu had something on it that we really liked. I think it was called farfalle or something, which is a type of pasta. Right. But it has been haunting us. And um, it basically was, it sounded like vodka cream sauce, mm-hmm. you know, on the description. And it tasted like vodka cream sauce, but it had bacon cooked into it. 
Um, well, and not, not you know, everything is better with bacon. Yes, yes. And not pancetta, though, like actual, like um, kind of Western style bacon. Yeah. And which seemed to, I don't know how they soaked it into that sauce. Um, so I've been trying to do it where I cook the sauce and I threw in a slice of bacon, <laughs> threw in bacon and then cook bacon on the side. I'm trying to get that, you know, immersed taste. I haven't quite reached it, but it does taste good either way. And it was called I would Lex. Start with, I would start with the bacon. Yeah, I did. That, I that fried it strategy. and then put the tomatoes in there right in the fat, right? Yes, that's Which what I would what do. Which is what I did do. Yeah. And it, it was close. It was pretty close. And uh, just made a marinara. I used a classic marinara sauce from the New York Times. Um, it can be found online. I've been using it for a while. And I really love it. And um, it turned out pretty good. And you also put fresh peas in. They had really teeny tiny peas that were probably frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been using Trader Joe's peas. And they might be too large. They're English peas. And they might be too big for the recipe. But tasted pretty good. So that's what I've been doing. If you're in New York City, this isn't even like a... It's not like, um, it's just a regular Italian restaurant. I, I, it, I did, we didn't have any reviews or anything. It's called the Lex. And I wish I could just drive over there tonight. Nice. <laughs> it's really good. Hey, I'd like to recommend a food product while we're in okay. comfort food diner land. All right. All you right. know, I went up to my local Loblaws and I never go to Loblaws. Let's not, I wouldn't say I never go to Loblaws. I would say I go to the Loblaws if I'm looking for something that my no frills isn't likely to stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Loblaws has a much bigger selection, but they also... Um, up their prices and typically because mm. i do the shopping much of the shopping in our family I, and although i'm not the most careful shopper i can recognize when i'm paying 60 cents more for the same product at loblaws than i am at right. the, the no frills right so i don't usually right. shop at the loblaws because it's too expensive but mm-hmm. i went up there because i was looking for something in particular i guess and and was wandering through the loblaws and they had the standalone display and it, it was a display of a variety of, let's call them artisanal condiments. Okay. Hot sauces and other condiments. Yeah. And there was a variety of them. <laughs> and one of them caught my eye. It was called Okazu Chili Miso Oil. Okazu. Hmm. Yeah. And it's, it had a little blurb about it. It said it's a condiment. And I thought, I like the miso flavor. And I thought, I'm going to like this. It's got hot. It's got miso. I'm going to try it. Well, there was no price on the display, Uh which means that you know it's going to be obscenely expensive. So I decided I would try it and then not look at the the price. (laughs) That's the best way to go, right? You hide it in in amongst all the rest of your groceries, and you don't know how much too much you've spent for this silly condiment. So I bought this, and the ingredients are great. It's all organic. It has sunflower uh, oil, sesame oil, garlic, miso paste, uh, tamari, sugar, uh, chili, and sesame seeds. Right. Okay. It's got the miso thing happening, so it's it's fermented, mm-hmm. and you just drizzle this on anything, and right. it is so fantastic. Candy, you'll love this stuff. It's spelled O K A Z U. That's right. Yeah. It is so yummy. It I just like its makes, packaging. I'm looking it, at it on my phone. I can see yeah, it. I was it trying makes, to see. It makes everything yummy. Oh, and yeah. they also have, I, I went back 
And I also bought their other one, which is curry miso <laughs> oil. And I haven't tried that one yet, but I know it's going to be just as just as yummy and probably just as obscenely expensive. Well, this one is $13.99 that I'm looking at online. Yeah, that's probably about right. Like right. double the price of what you'd really want to pay for a little jar of, of right. condiment. Right, right. But you probably only use a teaspoon, right? Yes, you use about a teaspoon. Yeah. So it goes fairly far. But, you know, I think like with the fish sauce, there's mm-hmm. a quite a big difference between your cheaper condiments and your and your swankier condiments. Definitely, and, definitely. Um, I'm going to say this stuff is just rocking good. Wow. And I put it on everything. Oh, wow. I just drizzle it but on by everything. everything. Oh, is it drizzly? Yeah, you could. Yes, it's oh. drizzly. You stir it up. Oh, it's going to be like paste. Like, it's like there's paste and there's oil and every okay. time you open it, you have to kind of mix it up yep. and make that emotion. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you could just drizzle it all over whatever. A and sandwich? It, you could put soup? it on a sandwich. You could soup? put it in soup. Yeah. You could put it on rice. You could drizzle it on meat. Mm. You can put it on anything you want. It just, I put some on broccoli the other day and it just <laughs> was so good. Wow. I could just, I could add this stuff to anything. I am, I think Shit. an addict pretty soon, um, you know, be like heating it up and shooting it. I am intrigued. I'm going to try and find it. I, it's, I recommend it. It's super yummy. It's, you know, it's probably too expensive to be reasonable to buy, but uh, what the hell, eh? You know, you only live well, once. Well, miso is a pretty intense process. There's a lot of labor involved in it. So um, I think, so, you know, miso is not inexpensive. So it makes sense that you're going to pay for all the wow. process, all the, the cooking and processing of those products inside of that. So anyway, quite yummy. Yeah, can't wait to try it. It sounds really good. We gotta stop telling me things about food when I'm hungry. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, well hey, we had a nice dinner last night. I did because Michelle and Megan came over. Nice. Yeah, I was feeling a little bummed. I was doing all my. Hi, Michelle work. and Megan. Yeah, hi, Michelle and Megan. And I was feeling bummed, and I actually thought I was going to try and cancel the meeting with me, but they were like, "No, we're making soup, and we're coming over." So I was like, "Okay." And um, I was like, dig deep and find some energy. Um, I was a little bummed. And I think it's maybe because I'm on an anniversary of losing someone a year ago. So, you know, I think all of us are trying to find a way to just, you know, it comes and goes. And um, that's the only explanation because I've had some good night's sleep. I'm not sure what's bothering me. Um, But anyway, so I had in, you know, undefined moods, feeling blue. Anyway, they came over and they brought this yummy soup. Um, potato soup with Portuguese greens in it. And it was so good. And a fresh loaf of sourdough bread. And, oh, it just had a great little snack. Is, and that, the soup, is that the soup that has the collard greens and the Portuguese sausage in it? No, there's no, it was vegetarian. Ah, and okay. it was a, basically a base of onion and potato soup. And she added uh, the Portuguese greens. And it was really delicious, and really fresh and simple. And then um, they brought DVDs to watch. I said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And I said, no, I still have not taken out my DVD player and put in a new one because I don't have a remote. So then. Um, oh, yes, the remote problem. This, the remote. this remote, the missing remote has been going for remote, some time now. Oh, months for sure. And I do have another player. It's just that I haven't felt like I had the time to trade them out. It's it's ridiculous. And um, excuse me. And so um, she had a Netflix list. Um, and so she, we had a couple of choices and we agreed on this movie called The Disaster Artist. Have you heard of it? No. I had heard of it. It's a few years old and it got a lot of accolades at the Golden Globes when it came out. And I had kind of avoided it because it's, 
about a guy who made what one reviewer called the Citizen Kane of worst movies. They made a movie called The Room and it was notoriously bad movie and it plays at the music box in Chicago. Um, we know a few people who have gone to see it. It's like a cult classic now. It was made in 2002 okay. and it just got a word of mouth and became a cult classic film. And it's not that I don't like a cult classic. I just kept saying, I'm not in the mood to see a bad movie. Is this like yeah. a sensory deprivation kind mm -hmm. of thing? I don't think so. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I don't know why it's called The Room actually um, because I don't know anything about the movie. But I guess audiences went nuts. We won't talk about the movie then if we don't, neither of us know anything about it. No, the original movie, The Room. Right. The, the, the one that this, this guy, you can see why someone made The Disaster Artist. Because, and so I'm saying. The Disaster Artist refers to this other movie? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So okay. there was a movie, a cult movie called The Room. And people go and see it and they go crazy for it, okay? Like okay. Rocky Horror Picture Show right. or Got it. something. Yeah. And it's like Plan 9 from Outer Space. It's just a famous bad movie. And it got a word of mouth. It, you know, of course it didn't do well because nobody liked it. It was a terrible movie when it was released in Los Angeles, except that there was enough people who went to the opening and laughed their asses off and it got a word of mouth, I suppose. Okay. So I understand I have, the, yeah. the, uh, the enjoyment of a really bad movie. Yes. And that's funny because when people go, oh, that movie sucked. I'm like, you obviously do not watch bad movies because when you watch a bad movie, all other movies are actually very good. <laughs> They're really good because the people can act. They can, uh, they've got a script. They, they've got all the elements that suspend your disbelief. And, it, you know, there's definitely a lot of, so let me say that the, this film, the one we watched is called The Disaster Artist. Yes. Is it a new, a new one or an old one? What year is it? I'm going to say it probably was 2014 okay. or 2016. Uh, 2017, actually, I think it was 2017 because I did a little reading in the background and I, and the original movie, The Room, came out in 2002, 2003. All right. <clears throat> and then one of the guys in this movie, young actor in Los Angeles, who was one of the stars of the movie, he wrote a book about making The Room. And I suppose at that point, someone bought the rights to that. And made this film james franco made it so i was we were also like oh it's james franco do we really want to watch a movie with oh, him? so this is a film based on a book about making this bad movie there you go thank you got it's it based, yeah so it's, it's a based on a non-fiction book about the making of this movie okay and so it's all the characters in it and i'm telling you it, within the first five minutes i was i was a little nervous but i was like well you know james franco didn't kill anybody he's just an asshole but we'll watch it and so we, uh, and I'm sorry, that's allegedly an asshole. Um, and, um, <laughs> and the thing is, I really like James Franco as an actor. So it was kind of hard that, that that sort of thing happened in the last few years with him. And I think that we're, I think he's going to come back and he'll be forgiven. Maybe like, um, as what did he do? I think he just assumed people would sleep with him because he was rich and famous. I'm going to say yeah, that. that, in that that's, that's pretty common. Yeah, and I think he's just a little entitled and I mean, some people just assume people are going to sleep with them because they have huge egos. Right. There was one waitress years and years ago that said, Matt Damon said, give me a blowjob or something like that. You know, I mean, I guess sometimes that's allegedly too. I read that in People Magazine or something. Um, but, you know, sometimes I love Matt Damon, but um, not Matt Damon, Matt Dillon, Dillon, D-I-L-L-O-N. Sorry about that. Cowboy junkies. Anyway, okay. so, um, you know, James Allegedly Franco's not Matt Damon. 
uh, allegedly not Matt Damon. Um, so, you know, James Franco's got some bad behavior, uh, okay. like like not a good date. Like half a, of Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, just inappropriate, insensitive, rude, you know, etc. And uh, I hope, what's the point of being enlightened? What's the point of being wise if we can't kind of find a way to talk about these things and, and not forgive them, but just let them come back to work or something? You know, I mean, I suppose I can imagine that James Franco will get some, you know, be able to work. He's extremely talented. And maybe he just could come out and say, you know what, I was an asshole, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have treated girls that way and women that way. And I, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing and move on. And same as the guy who had the famous bad date, Aziz, um, who was from Parks and Rec. A woman wrote an article after being at his house that he just didn't, he was disrespectful. He didn't take no for an answer and he assumed they were gonna have sex. And he was just a horrible date. And the guy hasn't, you know, I don't know where he's been ever since. It was totally humiliating for both parties. He humiliated her and she humiliated him. And you kind of go, well, they're not Harvey Weinstein. How do they come back from this? And then I guess we'll see. Same as Louis C.K., who has been on tour. He's got a bit of a following. He has a bit of a career again. Anyways, long story short, we were, uh, we were a little bit like, well, it's James Franco. Okay, we're going to watch it. Within a few minutes, his the behavior brilliance. really elevated him in terms of asshole status, though. Alleged. I know. I feel terrible because I don't want to do that, but I wanted to say all that to you because you didn't know. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and I guess I feel like there's just <laughs> I don't know what to say. Let's just let's just leave it for a second. Okay. Um, so anyway, with this nervousness, and I was I was almost prepared to not watch the movie. And then it starts and five minutes into it, the thing is, James Franco is an amazing fucking actor. And there he goes. It's like Shia LaBeouf in the Peanut Butter Falcon, remember? Mm -hmm. You still want to watch that because he's amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we're, it starts out and it's like, we are laughing. My mood immediately changed. I was feeling so much good from the nice fresh soup. And, and this movie is hilarious and charming. And you just don't know who is this guy? Where did he come from? And the fact is the main character that they're portraying that James Franco plays, Tommy Wazoo. And Wazoo is after, yes, it is. It's Wazoo like bird in French. And he um, created that name. And he is a bit of a mysterious character. He seemed to have quite a lot of money. He had an apartment in San Francisco, an apartment in Los Angeles. And he met this young actor who's like 19, played by, the act, by James Franco's younger brother, as a matter of fact. And um, they met in an acting class. And they just started this great friendship. And it's a buddy film. And at some point, they're not getting any, they decide to move to Los Angeles. And the, the younger guy goes, well, where are we going to live in Los Angeles? He goes, I own an apartment there. And he's like, what? <laughs> this guy just seems to have a mysterious income. Okay. Oh, and I've seen this movie. No. Yes. I This is totally ringing a bell with me. Oh, but you don't understand funny. why he has this apartment, right? No, you don't know anything about him. And yes, he's dressed okay. like, you know, the boys that go work Rodeo Drive and they're like, they look like they're from the band Poison or yeah, yeah, Bon Jovi. Yeah. They have long hair. And yes, yes. I've totally seen this movie. It's a really <laughs> interesting movie. 
oh my God, it's so interesting and so fucking funny. And James Franco, I think he got a Golden Globe and he definitely deserved it. And he may have been nominated for an Oscar, which he also deserved. Um, so you go on this journey of they moved to L.A. It's a really nice apartment in Los Angeles. And Wazo doesn't want anyone to know who he is, where he came from. He has a very unique accent that he claims is from Louisiana. But he's actually probably from an Eastern Bloc and... He's probably got money that he was able to transfer to the United States from some nefarious business like drug running. That's all we can infer from if you go to Wikipedia mm -hmm. or something. Because during the movie, Michelle and I had to stop and go to Wikipedia because we're like, what the hell? Who is this guy? Yeah. And he won't say his age. He won't say his real name. He's just a mysterious character. And he had this dream and he made a film. And they're the, the cameos in this movie are spectacular. There's Seth Rogen, there's Judd Apatow. There's just so many fun people in this movie. It's really exciting just to watch the cameos. And so, um, you know, we're just laughing our ass off. I can't recommend this movie enough. So they make this whole film and you go through the production of them making this, I want to say low budget. But the thing is, it's not low budget because when Seth Rogen's character goes to the bank, he's like, nah, here's my paycheck. And he's waiting for it to bounce. And the teller says, oh, no, there's a bottomless pit where this came from. <laughs> and Seth Rogen's like, what? And the other funny thing about the, the movie bottomless is... bottomless pit. Yeah, the other funny thing is... That That's really people, what we need. Is We all need is a bottomless pit of funds. I know. I mean, wouldn't I you really like that? It'd be handy to have a bottomless pit. I, I guess pit. it would be handy because... Um, they basically made the film and they weren't worried about getting paid. And for a month or two, they all were on the set. And there's some really charming actors and, and characters in it playing different parts in the movie. And it's, it's, it's a stinker. You can tell it's a stinker. There's no way in hell it could be good. Um, but the interesting thing is when you make a movie, you really don't have any idea whether it's necessarily you don't know you're making a bad movie sometimes. Now, these guys did, some of the crew did feel they were making a bad movie. They didn't necessarily want to go to the opening even. when it. Oh, although sometimes I think you do know you're making a bad movie. Yeah, I guess so. And I, it, it, the weird part is, is that the earnestness it takes, it takes such a high level of, the suspension of disbelief also has to begin on the film set as well as for the audience. Because it's such hard work, long hours. It's very, very fun. It's very creative and very fun. There's almost no place else I'd rather be than on a film set. However, um, if you don't have that enthusiasm, it's really hard to get it completed and to get it to uh, a place where you're, you, you want everyone to believe in it. So it was a lot of fun watching these actors play out these characters making a film. I, I just can't even recommend it enough. It's 10 out of 10 for me. I had so much fun watching it. And a lot of fun Googling this guy. <laughs> you know, I know that I've seen this film. What yeah. your description is just <laughs> tweaking my memory. Yeah, I can't remember funny. a lot of detail about it. But, I know it's only a couple of years um, ago. Yes, but I, I, I remember thinking this is really a strange film. I can't stop watching it. It is a strange film. And, uh, you know, it is a really a making of movie. It's all on. It's about Hollywood in a lot of ways. And um, that's kind of half the fun is it's. Why is it called The Disaster Artist? I, I don't know why it's called that because a disaster didn't really happen except he's kind of a disaster, his personality. 
And um, he's also, God, he's hilarious. And um, yeah, he's just naturally funny because he's such a committed personality. He's just one of those weirdo, weird people you meet in life if you're lucky and you don't really know what to do about them, but they've got this friendship. I've known several people like that. Yeah, yeah. In the weird people you know in life category. Yes, the weird people you know in life. Um, I loved it so much. It was so much fun. And then they do this thing at the end of the movie where they play two screens at once. They play the real movie that was made next to the scene, some outtakes, some scenes from the movie they remade. So you're watching them make this movie, the whole movie. Most of the movie is on the film set, okay? And we see them film these bad takes that they have to do over and over again. And they're just, it's just a, a, a car crash, right? It's a disaster. And, um, but at the end of the movie, they play them next to each other. And it's uncanny how wonderful they recreated that film in those, in those scenes. It's a lot of fun. And, and you just have James Franco next to the real Tommy Wazoo. Then you have the, the star of the film, the female star next to her characters. It, it's really great. That sounds, and, uh, it, that it sounds is, really good. I know that I found it interesting when I saw it. I wish I could remember more of it. Yeah, uh, really, all I can remember is like, oh yeah, I've been there. Well, it's just weird because uh, I think you should watch it again knowing it's a true story. It might be yeah, worth watching that, I, I, knowing I this is actually a real person. Because I think you could go to the movie and go, okay, this is just weird stuff and not realize it's a true story. <laughs> so we went back in our time machine a little bit to watch a couple of movies. Okay. Uh, we went back to 1972 and we watched a movie starring Robert Redford, Peter Boyle, and Melvin Douglas called The Candidate. You oh yeah, film? good movie. I love it's, that movie. It's actually a really good movie. At first I thought, mm. no, nah, this is just too cheesy, but it's it's a really good movie. Um, Robert Redford plays a lawyer, a guy who fights for the little man. Uh, he gets noticed by like the Democratic Party machine. Um, he's persuaded to run for the Senate against an opponent who everybody thinks has a lock on the race. Right. So this guy's going to have no chance of winning. Uh -huh. And he says, listen, I'll, I'll do this, but I want to do it my way. You know, I want to say the things I want to say. I want to handle the campaign my way. And they all said, yeah, 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 that's <laughs> fine. Um, but, you know, when he's out there on the campaign trail saying what he thinks, suddenly he starts getting some traction. Oh, and yeah. he starts, it looks like maybe he could win. Well, suddenly um, he doesn't have the same freedom to say what he wants and the machine kicks in. Uh, and it's very, very interesting uh, story about about politics and how that political machine game works. Mm. Um, so the deal starts to change on on Robert Redford, uh, and you know, you ask yourself: is is, is it satire or is it a prediction? I, I think that is a good question. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you know, now I, I you look at recent America, we're seventy million people, 70 million plus people in America voted for a, a two-bit con man. Mm -hmm. Anything can happen in politics, right? Yes, yes. You know, Robert Redford doesn't make a bad movie. You know, I think that's true. They're they're all thoughtful and good. Absolutely. I don't know. He's just so good at being able to work on a script or fix a script or pick a script. And if it's got a flaw, he'll rewrite it or something because it's an impeccable record. Yeah, I really like this one. I like... You know what I liked, but I liked that it's a thoughtful movie. 
Yeah. Um, I like that. It didn't have any car crashes. It didn't yeah. have uh, machine guns. It was like, it was a movie about uh, politics, but it was totally entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Which... I really like that. A bit of trivia. It was released a month before the 1972 California presidential primary. Hmm. And so what they did was they set up uh, a promotion, which was like political posters with a picture of, uh, of Robert Redford. And it said, McKay, the better way. Wow. Well, he got a substantial number of right-in votes in the, in the election. Wow. Oh, Robert Redford did. Yes. Yes. As McKay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so really enjoyed that one. I can highly recommend it. Uh, it seems like it seems a little bit dated. Yeah, it doesn't oh, matter. I'm sure. But I'm it's sure. it has that 70s film feel. I don't know how to describe that. There's a certain kind of realism yes. that a lot of a lot of directors went for in the 70s and this has it too. Yes, cinema verite is what they were trying to to emulate from Europe and they wanted um yeah, that gritty realism mm-hmm. and you know, no no explosions and unnecessary um frills yeah and it's considered that time period the second golden age of hollywood yeah you know that 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 was a great time period for all kinds of movies it's insane i wish i wish we had them and all people-based human-based you know yeah pretty exactly. exciting pretty exciting um, so so then we went 20 years later uh-huh. and sheila suggested we watch this one and somehow <laughs> i missed it the first time around oh, how geez. i missed this movie I oh, have God. no idea. Oh, and, and the movie is My Cousin Vinny. Oh, yeah. Great movie. 1992. Oh. Uh, director is, uh, is uh, Jonathan Lynn, starring Joe Pesci mm-hmm. uh, as, um, as Vinny. Um, uh, Maris, Marissa. Uh, Marissa, Marissa Tomei as Mona. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Fred Gwynn as the judge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Fred Gwynn as the judge. Uh, this was this film is an acting class. I never would have thought. I never would have considered Joe Pesci as anything but a character actor. You know. Oh, he's so um, good in this. He's so good in this. Mm-hmm. It's so delightful. Uh, at first, I thought they were really going for a kind of stereotypical New Yorker versus mm-hmm. Alabama. New Yorker right. versus the American South yes. kind of thing. And there's some of that in there. You yes. know, they play up some of that for sure with the strong New York accent and Fred Gwynn can't understand Joe Pesci. <laughs> yeah. um, and also the idea that you go through the South, you could be arrested for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. guys, kids from New York get arrested for anything. Um so they get arrested for murder after stopping for, for some road food. They leave the place. They take off. Well, it turns out um, just around the same time somebody went in there and killed the clerk. They get arrested for murder. They haven't got any money, They they but they do have a lawyer in the family. Joe Pesci is Vinny. He's just passed the bar. He's never been through a trial. Right. This film is right. delightful <laughs> and uh, and hilarious. Uh, Marissa Tomei is brilliant in it. Yeah, and, she really uh, is. She is, you know, she really brings the movie alive. I think yes. she's really um, the heart of it. Yes. And that and the wonderful 
foil that Fred Gwynn is for <laughs> uh, for Vinny and his girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, Fred Gwynn is just he's so perfect in this. Yes, and I happen to really admire Fred Gwynn. I think he's a wonderful <laughs> actor. Uh, for listeners who don't know, uh, Fred Gwynn was Herman Munster. He was. He was and- Herman Munster, and he went on to have. Uh, numerous other interesting roles, including this one and uh, the movie I dragged you Club. To. Yeah, I remember telling you, you have to come to this movie. You won't believe who's in it. And t- I think Tom Waits and and Fred Gwynn were in the Cotton Club. Is that correct? Yes, and I think they became buddies. I think they did, <laughs> which makes sense to me. Yes, it does. Um, so, I mean, this is a it's a delightful film it's beautifully written it's funny as all get out yes and she got an oscar for it and good for her huh yeah yeah well well deserved because yep. she's she is so so good in this uh-huh film. uh i how did i miss this how did i, I miss this one Nine, went by and you're i just didn't nights. even know maybe this movie yeah. just came and went i had no idea <laughs> i mean i vaguely heard of it but uh i had no idea it was so good mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a wonderful courtroom comedy is all I can call it. That's right? true. A courtroom That's comedy. True. I mean, yeah. who makes courtroom comedies? <laughs> uh, uh, there's one other I can think of. And Justice for All, is that a comedy? I think it kind of is. Back to those 70s ty- types of movies. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So yeah, meantime, are you excellent. all caught up on American Rust? No. I went down the rabbit hole of catching up on... Oh, no, I didn't watch last night's. I, I am caught up on American Rust, but I didn't watch the other night. I forgot. Oh, you didn't watch? Oh. I'll have to go watch it, so don't tell me anything. Oh, I, I won't, except that, except that it gets real. Things okay. are getting real on American Rust. Oh, there's more episodes? It's I continued. thought that... Oh, I thought that was the finale the other night. Okay. Uh, well, no, it's still, it's still carrying on. Wow. Um, so yeah, uh, and it, it gets it gets dark and it gets real. And mm-hmm. um, the Jeff Daniels character, um, he you know throughout the series, he's trying to figure it, should he be stepping over some kind of line, and right. he's he bursts across that line in this last episode. So uh, catch up, catch up. It's uh, will, is a very very good episode. The last one, uh, it's dark and nasty and yeah. Um, there's some surprises in it. Yeah, well, I totally forgot about it to be honest with you because I had DVR. I'd recorded impeachment and I had something like seven episodes to catch up on. Yeah, tell me and about I, impeachment. Oh my god, it's so good. I thought I would just check it out and see if I was in the mood. I really loved the first two installments. It's called American Crime Story as a basis. And the first two installments were OJ versus the people. And Cuba Gooding Jr. was in it. John Travolta. I thought, well, I'll just see if I'm into it. I'll just see. And I couldn't stop watching. It was absolutely incredible, even though Cuba Gooding Jr. did not come off at first looking like O.J. Simpson, it didn't matter after a few minutes. All of a sudden, I just started believing him. And um, then the second installment was the assassination of Gianni Versace, um, where a serial killer had been traveling around killing gay guys, and the police did nothing about it. And that's why they call it the assassination, was because the cops were so homophobic. I don't know if I have to say so homophobic. I could just say homophobic, um, because that's bad enough. And um, they didn't 
pursue the case properly and, and rigorously. And Gianno Versace had run, crossed paths with this serial killer who killed him too. And um, amazing productions. These are Ryan Murphy productions. <clears throat> he did Glee. He did Nip Tuck. And I thought he had done Six Feet Under. So I apologize. He's never done that. And I may have said that on the show before, which was an HBO special. But Ryan Murphy is extremely amazing producer, director, creator. And he's got some of the most exciting TV shows out there. He has a contract with Netflix. He's had for a few years where he's done Pose, um, which is like a, a biopic of the, the uh, drag queen scene in New York in the 80s. And everything he does is gorgeous and melodramatic and fascinating. And so now we come to impeachment, which is about Monica Lewinsky. And I understand she's one of the producers on it, which oh, really? is fantastic. Yep, I do understand that she's one of the producers, I guess because she's giving permission for her memoir. So instead of paying her, you might get a backdoor deal when you're a producer, um, where you would get the money once it was sold. I don't know, but also they must need her permission. It is the most wonderful, sympathetic portrayal. The woman who plays her, Beanie Feldstein, is fantastic. And it's impossible not to fall in love with Monica Lewinsky. Um, I always felt very sympathetic towards her. And it's so rewarding to see this re showing how badly she was treated, how poorly people treat women in, in, in back to politics, back to workplace. Um, it is incredible. Um, and I don't know, I just can't, I just can't look away. And you won't believe who's playing Bill Clinton. Who's playing Bill Clinton? I, I was staring at him like he doesn't look like him, but he has his voice down. He has his movements down. It's Clive Owen, hmm. who has, I believe, brown eyes and doesn't black hair and doesn't look anything like him. But the way they have him set up with the wig and the makeup, and he, maybe he has contacts in. He, and his voice cadence is spot on. It's incredible. Another person that stole the, the camera is Colby Smulders, who's one of my favorite uh, comedic actors from How I Met Your Mother. And she plays Ann Coulter. You know who Ann Coulter is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Ann Coulter, where Bill Maher said, oh, she's a fascist, but she's the sexiest fascist I've ever seen, <laughs> um, to quote Bill Maher, sort of. Um, anyway, she has her down. Again, doesn't look like her. It doesn't matter. It's insane with the wig and the performance. The acting is out, out. It's just off the chain in this series. And um, it's done so beautifully. And you can compare it to West Wing, where in West Wing, they made the sets of the, of the West Wing in the White House. They tried to portray how claustrophobic it was. Those offices are tiny and next to each other. They're 100 years old or whatever, right? They weren't big, massive rooms. And instead on this production, they give you this decadence of, of these rooms opening up just because it doesn't matter. You're so invested in the um, emotional journey of the women here, um, mostly the women. Uh, you do get to know Monica's dad a little bit, but the male roles are pretty hideous. The FBI is disgusting. The law enforcement lawyers surrounding this situation were disgusting, and they do not hold anything back. There's butt slapping and everything by people in, in the White House. There's um, sneaking Monica. I hadn't realized that they, they, really, they really had sex. I, I mean, I hadn't realized it was such a developed um, love affair. It was really disturbing. And it really bothered me when she came out and said that it was hard for me to process that she believed it was an affair and they were in love. Even when it came out, I thought, no, this is, 
this is a guy in a workplace. He shouldn't have been doing this. However, I also didn't care that it happened in a lot of ways because I was like, well, people have affairs and this should be private to their family. I really was kind of more like, I didn't need my mom in real life to be telling me that the, that this guy had put a cigar in her vagina. <laughs> I was like, I've really hit rock bottom when my mother's telling me this account and I wish I didn't have to hear this, right? But my mom was like, what's going on in that in the White House, right? <laughs> and um, I mean, she was really into following all the stuff and I was just picking up news here and there, but I felt like, well, people have affairs and marriages are not what we think they are sometimes. And I'm not sure if this should be out in the public, but I also thought, oh my God, this poor woman believes that, you know, she's in this predicament and her life is ruined. Um, and in all sense, it kind of was ruined in a lot of ways. Um, she felt she would never get married. She felt she would never um, be able to be, have a job again. And I think her livelihood has been touring and writing a memoir. And she's written some articles in newspapers. She's did she get married? Um, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I probably should have looked that up, but I don't think she did get married. And um, <clears throat> and then she also has a foundation for anti-bullying. So because really, in essence, what happened was the FBI and these lawyers put her in a hotel room by herself with them, didn't let her call her mom or a lawyer for 12 hours. And that part of the series was really incredible to me. But first, the overall part was, here you had this woman who was so excited to go to her new job. She's an intern at the White House. And the actress playing her, uh, Feldstein, is so marvelous. She just brings you right into being a young person. And you're so excited to live in the city and have this cool job. And, um, you know, they also portrayed her as being fairly popular in the workplace, a really fun coworker. Um, she has quite a sense of humor. And she's very charming and really a city girl and all kinds of things about that people mocked were really a realistic part of being a young woman and, 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 and living and growing up. And so much of that had been taken advantage of to hold over her from the dress not being dry cleaned, you know, the famous dress with the cum shot on it. And why didn't you clean this? I managed thing? to forget all about that. Yeah, right. All of these things they put in here. So you're also kind of going on this nostalgic journey of finding out things that, oh, I forgot about this and how it looked from her end of things. It, it's just fantastic. Um, Edie Falco plays Hillary Clinton and she's amazing <laughs> as well. I bet she she's, is. She's incredible. You can't, you know, it's Edie Falco. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, she's really got... Clinton down. Uh, it's, it's just an incredible experience. I think Ryan Murphy has done something astounding. He's found a way in pop culture to, to deal with so many um, subtexts that we go through as a melodrama, as a soap opera. And it's giving the soap opera um, format so much um, credence and credibility it really deserves. Um, Camille Pauly, I used to write that soap operas, we see them in the United States and we might mock them, but they play around the world. And when you have women talking back to men and their employers, because a lot of soap operas are these very powerful female characters um, fighting for their right to have their family and lives and jobs and freedom and voice. And they play around the world and they, they 
play out in a very different way than we might perceive of them here. We expect to be that way. And, and um, other countries are kind of blown away. I can only imagine how this is, it's going to have international attention. It's fantastic. And it, it, it transcends the, the gossip and the um, role of the president even. It, it really is a, a metaphor for so many things. And uh, uh, the production value is incredible. It's lush, gorgeous. And the acting is amazing. Sarah Paulson plays Linda Tripp. So you really go, they, they tell the story in forwards and flashbacks a bit. And so then you, you, you know one part of the story and then you learn all this other stuff. And even if you knew, you know, here's me who I know some of the story, right? And then there's all the stuff you find out. I can only imagine what young people watching this might think. They're gonna be going crazy if they didn't know this history very well. It's just like watching the dark ages or something. It's horrible. Um, I would liken it to the Anita Hill. I, I think I mentioned that a couple of years ago. I watched the Anita Hill um, portrayal on TV as well. And um, just the way that the honor they've given these characters is really incredible. I mean, I even felt I, for Linda Tripp a couple of times, sorry. I suspect that there is no satire possible in American politics that is more bizarre than the reality of it. Yes, I think you're probably right. And Linda Tripp, worst friend in the world, uh, she gets her comeuppance. And, um, and I also kind of felt bad for her. It's interesting to see her side of the story too. Uh, just a very bitter person. Obviously, I think we all knew that at the time that she must be have a grudge about something. But um, yeah, very good show. And after the FBI, while Monica Lewinsky's in there, one of my favorite parts is um, her dad gets, her dad's a business guy, out, I think in California, and he gets his lawyer who's like, um, his lawyer's practice is medical... What do you do, um, malpractice? <laughs> He's not at all suited for the, the role of lawyer, but Monica's uh, a lawyer can't be found. So basically, at some point, this guy gets on the phone with the FBI and he fucking swears his ass off. He said, he just the way he talks to the FBI, you're like, yay! <laughs> it's so rewarding. So there's so many ups and downs that are so fantastic. Tonight's the finale and I just can't wait. All right. Yeah. So I binge the shit out of that. I watched like all seven episodes over the weekend. Well, I understand. It's fantastic. That. That's, I guess binging is uh, it's a phenomenon of our time, isn't it? Yeah. And I didn't have to, I had recorded them. I just didn't get to watch them every week. Cause I, you know, I watched something else. Um, and some shows really, they benefit by it. I The reason I kept watching it was because I couldn't wait to find out what was happening next. It was so amazing. I would watch this again. That's how good it was. Well, there's yeah. a recommendation. Yeah. So good. And I know I had another show to tell you about, but I've completely gone blank about what it was. <laughs> next week. <laughs> so listeners, if you have any idea what Candy was thinking about, what show she was going to tell us <laughs> know, about, write it. in and tell her so she can tell us about it next week. Yeah, write us anything. Hey, um, we did have a recommendation. For, uh, Vox wrote us again, and he said how much he enjoyed our guest, our recurring special agent, Sarah. I don't know if you saw that in the email. Oh, I did not yeah, see. Yeah, maybe uh... go check and see if you want to read that out or not. I, I just remembered that. Now, also, we had a donation to our Patreon page 
And I don't think either of us know who it is. I'm going to see if I can find that while we're on here. But I want to thank you very, very much. You made my whole week when I saw that donation, that pledge to Patreon. And anyone can do that. Even a dollar a month would be amazing. Um, And we're inclined to send out mugs or hats and different things when we get a Patreon um, pledge. But we don't know where to send our swag. But we don't know where to send our swag if you don't tell us your, um, you know, Although it's kind of nice that we have a, a, a top secret supporter, like, you know. It, it's amazing. I think it's our first patron. We don't know who it is. Excellent. Yeah. So I, I pulled up that uh, that email. I'll, oh, I'll I found out who it is. Oh. Oh, they've registered their address. It's a, you know, what's funny is that I wanted to interview him for my documentary. It's somebody I met online. His name is Andy. I don't think that'll give away anything if he wants to maintain his, um, anonymity um and so for an address you can send them some stuff i am going to toronto today i have something for you too um i just clicked a bad button so i hope i don't lose you a bad button a bad button i clicked that stupid thing that's like your mail on um and i never use it and it's a mail that comes with your computer and it opens up like five thousand pages of mail I'm trying to force. I have no right idea now. what you're talking about. I know. I, I pressed a wrong page. Okay. But it, so all I want to say was that in many ways, I met Andy on um, a book club and it turned out that he lived in Chicago and we landed up meeting each other in 2006 and we just became friends. And um, we made friends. And in fact, that's how I know Trisha. Hi, Trisha. Um, because we all worked in the same coffee shop. And um, Andy got me the job in the coffee shop, basically, which changed my life where I finally I had started to meet my own friends Um, uh, as much as I love steaks, friends, and they are fantastic. It was really fun to start to meet people myself. And so now I'm really pleasantly surprised to see that that is Andy. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you, Andy. We really appreciate your support. Yes. And, um, you know, we, we run we run this operation on a shoestring. So any little bit that (laughs) we we should get helps out. Yes. And um, we love our listeners so much. Thank you for listening. And if you do feel that you want to support us in some way and make a, a small monthly pledge, you can go to our Patreon page. I'll make sure to share it on Facebook or on Instagram and remind people. Because um, if you really go to Patreon and actually try to search for us, their search is really stinky <laughs> on, on Patreon. Yeah, that's true. You could also email us at the agency and we can send you a link to the Patreon. Absolutely. Page. So here's the uh, here's the uh, email from uh, our friend Vox. Okay. Uh, I didn't even see this one come in. It, it came in a week ago and it snuck in. I didn't even notice it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's because it was surrounded by all the requests for uh, for website work and I know. and well, search engine optimization and all of that stuff. And, we get and, we had those weekly. We get several of them. And how to improve your podcast? Because apparently we're terrible at, at engineering and doing our podcast, and we're terrible at our website because people keep telling us that we need their help. That's it. So Vox <laughs> says, "Hi, agents. Just wanted to drop you a line to let you know how much I enjoyed your interview with Special Agent Sarah." She is a a real wellspring of knowledge on conspiracies, both real and imagined. Her brief mention of Unit 731 Mm. led me to an area I had not previously even heard about. Great stuff. Well, thank you for for that, Vox. We we appreciate it. And I think uh, Special Agent Sarah will too. And hopefully... 
Um, we'll have Sarah on again sometime soon. Well, I'm sure the FBI or the CAA is going to do something stupid again. <laughs> and making friends. <laughs> I'm just out here making friends with law enforcement. <laughs> Probably that's, a really that's bad what idea. we do around here. We make yeah. friends with law enforcement. <laughs> um, okay, well, I guess I'll talk to you in a while. Eugene, have a wonderful day. And our listeners, have a great time. We love you. And we'll be back at you next week. Thanks for yeah. listening.